Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. Welcome, Robert. Thank you so much for joining us on Dub's podcast, Connection Loop. Today, we're going to talk about something that I think is so enigmatic for so many entrepreneurs, um, so many startup founders, so many people that are that are in the hustle, on the journey of raising capital, starting a business, and growing. And that is what investors actually care about, right? So uh, you're the expert to talk about this. You're in New York. I'm in LA. We've got the whole country covered here, <laughs> coast to coast. Please start with a short bio and let's get into it. Uh, definitely. So, um, hi, thank you guys for uh, having me on the show. Uh, I'm Robert. I'm, you know, 24. I've been working in marketing and venture capital since I was 15 years old. Uh, so this is kind of my whole world. Um, I'm really a geek for the venture transaction. Uh, the idea of getting a startup from $0 in outside capital raised to a fully subscribed round and sometimes oversubscribed with the right investors around the table. Uh, that's, you know, really the thing that has gotten me excited, strangely enough, since I was 15. And as a result of that, weirdly enough, specifically making pitch decks is another mm. thing I'm excited about. But on the resume side, um, right now, I'm number two at a firm called Evolution VC Partners, where investors in just over 200 companies, um, we invest in what we call culture tech, which is technology product services that you interact with every single day. Uh, and so, you know, some of the hits are Juul, Sweetgreen, Beyond Meat, Carta, Via, Masterclass, um, you know, Relativity Space, uh, and a number of Unity, and a number of other, you know, really exciting companies that we're interacting with on a day to day basis. Mm. Um, you know, that's on that side of things. On the other side of things, I, you know, also invest out of my own firm, um, Timeless Ventures. Um, and then on top of that, I'm the founder of a company called, the co founder of a company called Deco. Uh, the deck company, which uh, helps startups create their pitch decks from scratch. Um, you know, where what's what's the policy in, uh, uh, on a French on this show? Um, S'il vous plaît, monsieur. Okay, great. Uh, so we're really, you know, we founded this company because we couldn't stand to see, uh, you know, incredible startups held back by shitty decks. Uh, and we wanted to be able to help, you know, build that. So we have this in-house team of, you know, expert designers who've been specially trained at making pitch decks. But more so, we even have um, active venture capitalists who joined the team in addition to their VC work to work with founders and create their decks and their content and their narrative completely from scratch. Uh, so, you know, instead of just making things look nice, we're, you know, really focused on telling the right story uh, to investors. You know, there's some amazing pitch deck kind of presentations Um that are available on YouTube. And I remember some of them, you know, Airbnbs is up there and I think Groupons is up there. There's, there's a bunch of them. It's actually these, these blog posts have gone viral with these really incredible pitch decks. And what I also find slightly entertaining is some of the mock pitch decks. In fact, there's this presentation that this young girl did on flavored air at a VC conference. And it's honestly one of the funniest uh, pitches that I've ever heard in my life. And at some point I'll, I'll find it on YouTube and share that with you. Um, and it just kind of mocks the whole thing. And at, at first people think that she's actually serious, that she wants to yeah. sell jars of flavored air from Nepal and India and stuff like that. And then at some point people realize that it's kind of um, a joke. 
but but you know everyone loves to laugh at themselves uh, right. at least that's someone that's seasoned right and been around the block so she i think she wins the award i think she wins the audience yeah. award and it's it's just it's one of those lessons where you know how serious do we take this you know how, how much is the human um, a factor in the presentation, you know, at some point, is this just spreadsheet millionaires that we're looking right. at, you know, and we're going to boil the ocean. Um, you know, my question for you is how do we bring our pitch decks back down to planet earth and say, this is what we're doing. We're starting a real business that has a real economic, you know, viable business plan, but at the same time, it has the ability to become massively big. And here's a very reasonable way on how we're going to get from, you know, zero to 1 billion. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so I, I, the, the first thing that I always tell the founders that, you know, we're working with either, you know, in our portfolio or, you know, in our client base uh, at Deco is who is this deck for? Who is the actual audience going to be? Is this a deck for your demo day that you're going to be talking over? Um, is this a deck that you're going to be leaving behind for angel investors who may have a different reason for wanting to invest than let's say venture capital investors are going to have for wanting to invest or institutional investors are going to have? To want to invest so the first thing is really understanding who the audience is but you could say that about almost any single kind of deck um specific to fundraising i'd say the biggest thing that i tell founders is that almost never is someone going to be making their full investment decision on the deck alone the deck is there to be your guide into your diligence on the company and it's kind of your first impression on the company um for investors on average, an investor is reviewing a deck for three minutes and 44 seconds, but I could tell you firsthand that that's also probably bullshit. That's probably after you've gotten a little bit of interest from them. More likely than not, an investor is probably looking at your deck while they're on the phone with either another company, another investor, or somebody else. They happen to see it in their email. They take a quick 30-second glance to decide whether or not they want to come back to this thing and really review it. And then they'll come back to it and give you that full three minutes and 44 seconds of their attention before even reaching out to you and saying, hey, yeah, let's set up a meeting. Uh, and so what you really want to do with your deck is arm the investor to be conversational about your business. Summarize your business as quickly as you can. What I, as an exercise that I like to do is almost write up just 12 to 15 sentences on my business, mm -hmm. right? And then use those as the titles for each one of my slides. And then you could fill in the missing little pieces of data. Um, the other thing I'd say is that you oftentimes see people just kind of going the problem solution route, uh, because you've seen that a million times on all of these other, you know, pitch deck blogs or like, here's the template you need for your pitch deck. And don't get me wrong. You want to be able to show people the problem that you're solving and things like that. But really most important for this is you want to be able to show investors why your business is going to matter to them. Hook them up front, find the one reason investors are going to say no to your business as best as you can understand it. And then hone that. So for mm. example, you know, if I don't buy that your company's market timing is really there, right? I don't believe that people are really going to be willing to pay for your product. Show me a slide on why exactly what all the trends are that are leading to your business working right now and show me proof. It could be tweets. It could be a quote from somebody else. It could be empirical. I mean, it could be actual evidence, um, but show me proof that people are willing to pay for it and put that in there. Uh, and so instead of going the route of like trying to form fit your company into a problem solution, try to preempt what questions you think investors are going to have for your business when you're not in the room and answer those inside your deck as best as you can. If you mm. can do that, you've armed the investor now to be conversational about your business and even take some pushback. 
right? When someone asks them about it, if it's an angel investor, you're arming them to talk about you at their next cocktail party when they're meeting people. If it's a VC fund, you're arming the associate to take this deck into the committee meeting and say, this is why we need to meet with this company. Mm. That's really what you're optimizing the deck for. And there's a number of ways that you can do it. Okay. So here's, here's my pitch for you. I'm looking to raise a million bucks for this business. Here's the problem that I want to solve. If I go grab that Ibanez base that I just bought, I can still smell the fresh paint on it. And if I start to play that through an amp, and then if you start to, to jam on your PRS over there, there's going to be a latency problem. You and I are not going to be able to mm -hmm. jam in real time, right? So yeah. maybe there's a startup that does this. I haven't heard about it yet, which means in my opinion, it doesn't exist yet because they haven't marketed to me yet. Maybe I need to do my research, but I feel like this idea of collaborative music jamming is a massive problem that needs to be solved. Mm -hmm. And I want to be the guy that solves it. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, one, first of all, I love the bass in the back. Um, you know, we should jam, but you know, maybe when, uh, Maybe you're right, not over Zoom or not over yeah. never, uh Unless we like latency or we could do like call latency. and response. Right. I, could, I like can play that. something and then you respond to it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Syncopation, just make it really cool. And, you know, we could work with it. Yeah. The um, But, you know, if we're not trying to do that. Yeah. I mean, I totally buy the idea. But are you asking, you know, how do I how do I get an investor who maybe is not a musician to understand mm. that? Mm. You know, because that'll be a big part of it, right? Is mm -hmm. that like as a musician, and I always tell this to founders, and this could be a musician understanding what latency is, or this could be, you know, an AI developer understanding what neural networks are in a way that other people don't, right? As the founder of your company, you probably know more about your business than anyone, mm -hmm. right? And more about your market than anyone, right? No one is going to be as smart as you mm -hmm. on it. I could tell you this, if something feels too smart for me, I just don't do the deal. And like my mom always says, a confused mind always says no, right? And so in this case, when you're solving like a very specific problem, right, we're trying to solve latency for musicians, you have to show people like, what does latency really mean? Right. And there's ways you can do that, right? You can even like link to two different songs in your deck that you create. We actually did this with a portfolio company of ours that was solving a problem in the music space. Um, and it linked to two different versions of a song, one with their software and one without their software. Right. And you saw the difference and you heard the difference, mm. even if you mm. didn't know you know, in this case, even if you don't know what latency is, you're able to hear and see the difference. Now you've invited the investor into this conversation. Now they're interacting with your deck and they've learned something from your deck. They're hooked and they're intrigued to learn more. And by the way, they trust you automatically now as the expert in that space. And they're going to follow your lead and your thought leadership about where that market's moving. And you've got them in. Mm. So, you know, what I tell founders is, remember that you are talking to people who do not know this business as well as you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. Um, just to share my journey a little bit on the founding of Dub, dub.com, we, we, we had a, a kind of an interesting, um, I had an interesting uh, journey on this, on this startup because the background that I came from uh, was in startups. I've been, been involved with a number of startups and I, I found myself years and years ago in that chase mentality where I, I was a victim, right? I can't go and build tech unless I start money. I can't go and get, get customers until I have money to go build technology. And then an investor might say to my young mind back then, said, well, well, you need to figure that out. And that's not my problem. That's what friends, yeah. families, and fools are for. Right. And you need to go prove, prove yourself, get traction, get some validation, get your customers, get some sort of a trajectory that shows us this hockey stick that says, hey, this is going to be a real business, whether it's through users or through revenue. 
And it was very challenging for me to kind of solve that problem. And then one day I woke up <laughs> and I and it and it was unlocked within my mind. It all made sense to me for some reason. Something just clicked, right? So I the money was so easy to access. It was it was not even funny because I just I had my own money. I just was suffering from fear. Right. And I didn't want to I I almost was expecting other people to put money into a startup when I didn't want to put my own money into a startup. And a lot of people have that fear because we're told don't don't go max a credit card, probably you shouldn't. Don't go and refinance your house, probably you shouldn't. Don't go, you know, sell stuff that you shouldn't. Eh, maybe you should because we don't need more crap. Um, and anyways, I got the capital. I built the startup. And what was so interesting about this model in saying my goal is to find customers and not investors is that's exactly what I did. And the the founding story of Dub is that we we ended up raising almost a half a million dollars from early early sales. And uh, the reason why that was interesting was because we didn't really need to raise a seed round. We had plenty of capital so that we could go reinvest into the technology, empower people to leverage video. And then as we started to kind of do the proverbial swim upstream, get more larger clients, enterprise clients, larger teams with you know more money, we got premium prices. We could ask for more money. We could, we could upsell add-ons. And, and that customer problem was sort of solved. And you know now I find myself in a, in a situation where every, I, I've been counting so far for the last six months, every week, some investor reaches out to me. I'm not saying that it's Sequoia or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But you know, small investors, you know, pokers, people like intermediaries, those types of folks, they find us. They find us on G2, they find us on Product Hunt, you know, word of mouth, and they say, Hey, are you guys looking to raise around? And we're like, you know what, we are. We're actually getting prepped for something really, really amazing. And I think that I'm not a case study for the ultimate success. I'm still a student, I'm still working th things out for sure. But this pivot from getting customers versus getting investors was was my best learning and the thing that I love to teach. Um, what is your take on that? How can you allow people to unlock this idea of figuring out how to get founders, figuring out how to get capital, getting some proof of concept, and then taking a success story to investors as opposed to, hey, will you go make a bet on this crazy idea that I have because you know you have nothing else to do with your money? I'm so happy that you approached your business that way because that is like the exact thing that I tell almost every single founder that we work with. Um, again, either through our portfolio or through a client base, um, you oftentimes see this. And I saw this in my last company too, is there's like a pre-raise version of our company and a post-raise version of our company. And as founders, we tend to spend a lot of time thinking about like, well, what's going to happen when we have that, you know, $2 million seed round closed, mm -hmm. right? Oh, well, we'll be able to just, you know, throw a bunch of money into marketing here. And, oh, we'll finally be able to build that version of the product that we really like and all of that. And I'll tell you this, right? In my last company, I spent so much time there that I never ended up, you know, building the scale that I needed to to impress investors and get them involved in the business. I spent so much time thinking about raising for my business and not enough time thinking about running my business. And you see this all the, all the, all the time with founders. And by the way, it's even reflected half the time in their metrics. If you start to look at it, you can see which companies are raising rounds because you could see that their metrics are flat sometimes when they're going through these things because they're now shifting their attention fully towards their raise. That is a terrible, terrible idea and creates a negative feedback loop for investors. And then, so just to clarify what you said, that was extremely interesting. So what you're saying is that when when folks are, are spending time focusing on fundraising as opposed to selling, mm -hmm. it's literally visible in the metrics. That it's makes total sense to me. It's literally visible. 
Yeah, because no. you got to remember, you're a startup. There's only so many hours in the day. There's only right. so many people at your company. So right. if you as the CEO are not in front of customers, right, and you're in front of investors, that's going to that's gonna reflect, yeah. right? it, you know, inside, inside of your numbers. And by the way, as an investor, I'm going to yeah. ask you, you know, well, why are your numbers flat for the past three months? And mm. if you tell me, well, we're raising, I'm going to tell you, well, you're going to be raising again in 18 months. Is this going to happen again in 18 months? Right? Mm. And at a bigger scale. And so what I always, but you know, it's this kind of, you know, chicken and the egg situation. What I always tell founders is start running your business, start running it. Even if, you know, even if it looks like crap, even if it is, you know, messy and time consuming right now, do it, show investors that you have a business that is running. And the best way to even start to think about that, you know, when I, when I, especially when I'm talking to founders who have tech that they need to build is. Well, what does your tech do, right? If you're an online marketplace that's connecting, you know, in you know, connecting musicians with, um, you know, local venues for them to be able to be on, right? For them to be able to perform at, right? Instead of saying, okay, well, I'm not going to get a single person onto this until I have, you know, the payment infrastructure up and running, um, have the, you know, have the user profiles looking gorgeous and interactive features and yada yada yada, right? Instead of doing that, create a spreadsheet of every single you know local bar in new york city and start reaching out to artists and start reaching out to those spreads i mean start reaching out to those you know venues and saying hey can i put this person here can i put this person there and you know do you have any spots available on june 14th for a show right because what you're doing is you're just taking your core business which is connecting in this case musicians with venues right and you're executing on it the raise and the tech will let you do that faster and at scale but it's really your tech is a means to an end to what your service is to you know your customer at the end of the day right and just start serving your customers immediately mm -hmm. one of the mm -hmm. questions we ask all of our companies when we're looking at them is tell us about your customer mm -hmm. and if you can't tell us where you're getting your customers from why they're coming to you and how you're going to expand either your customer base or grow within your client base then we don't want to work with you because we don't want to pay the tuition for you to figure that out right and so show us that part, you know, and that's what will fuel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's this idea of we, we need more, we're, we're launching dub enterprise. Uh, actually this, this, this today and this next week is going to be a massive launch for us. It's seven power features that have br been brought to us, um, from our existing clientele, which is small, medium sized businesses, but a lot of these fantastic fortune 500 and Inc 5,000 companies that we've been now working with. And it's just a kind of a product of our listening to our customers. Now, the challenge that I hear from a lot of startup founders is I can't attract more enterprise customers unless I have enter enterprise customers. And it's back to this chasing this kind of cycle, this chicken and the egg issue. You know, how might you recommend that startup founders attract larger clients when they don't have a lot of existing larger clients to showcase as case studies. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, you know, to, to draw a parallel, you'll often see that with founders saying like, I need to go raise a $5 million round and I don't know who to go talk to, right? Or I need to go raise $10 million. I don't know who the hell to talk to. Um, what I always tell them, get the party started mm -hmm. however you can. Just start to get it started. So, you know, even if that means taking that $10,000 check from a buddy, $15,000 here, $5,000 there, get the party started. I would say the same thing, you know, as you know, I've been building my own company and things like that as well. 
you know, just get the party started. Even if your introductory client is a pilot, right? That is, you know, pieced together terribly, right? But you're offering them a sick discount to be able to put that logo on your site, do it, get it done. That is an investment in marketing. That is an investment in the growth, you know, in future business development for yourself. Just get the party started, however it is that you can. Because then you take that and you take it right to the next client. And they're not going to, you know, maybe they won't ask all the details of like, well, was this a pilot? Did you use your proprietary tech to be able to do this? Yada, yada, yada. They may not go into that. They just may say like, oh, XYZ companies using this. We know that they, you know, we know that they're a reputable company. We want to use you guys too. Um, so just, you know, however you can get your foot in the door with these guys, even at the tiniest level, sometimes we'll do like, you know, a quick few, you know, tiny, 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 we won't even make money on it, design job for a company, right? Just so that we can now get our foot in the door with them. Mm -hmm. And then they rehire us for this bigger and bigger and bigger thing. And then we're able to take that and advertise it, um, you know, and things like that. So, you know, our thing is just get the party started as quickly and as best as you can. Very cool. Now, speaking of parties, uh, LinkedIn, you're active on LinkedIn. Give us your kind of your social handles. Where can, where can folks connect with you? Definitely. Um, so you can, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn, um, you know, Robert Harari. Uh, so, you know, type that into the search bar um, on, you know, Instagram and on Twitter. It's also the same thing. It's just at Robert Harari. Um, you know, I'm, you know, I, I, yeah, I tweet more professionally. I mean, I post more professionally, I'd say on LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, is a hybrid. And then Instagram is just, if you want to see me like doing, you know, crappy covers of songs on guitar. <laughs> very, very cool. What's, what is your favorite uh, cover to play these days? I just learned how to play this charming man, uh, from the Smiths. Oh, nice. And that one is just like, it, it's a fun one. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a Johnny, Johnny Marr, uh, you know, and, and Morrissey, uh, track that's, those are the best. Yeah. And just that springy guitar and what he's doing with it. It's insane. And he yeah, yeah. The guitar up a half step to really give it this like cool right. shiny sound. It's, it's really, it's, it, it's such a fun one. Well, I, you know, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because, um, Johnny Marr from the Smiths, he's, he's actually, in my opinion, he's one of the most unsung heroes of, of pop music or definitely Brit, Brit pop music. Um, it, a lot of people haven't heard of him. I mean, people in the music industry have, but a lot of people, when you think of the Smiths, you think of Morrissey. Uh, but in fact, you know, he went on to do some amazing things with, um, so, so many cool bands. Like people should check out his Wikipedia article. He's been involved with so many cool things. So very, very cool to hear that cover. I'm definitely going to go check out your stuff on social channels and connect with you more on LinkedIn. In fact, I see you and I are not connected. So I'm going to go ahead and click the blue button and boom, okay. there it is. It's official. <laughs> nice. I will do I accept it live on the air. Nice. <laughs> very cool. Magic right now. Very cool. And then I encourage folks to, to check out getdeco.com. If you're looking, if you are a company, what was it? How did you describe it? If you're a daily lifestyle, what was it? That was so cool the way you said that. Yeah. If you're, um, so if you're, you know, go to evolutionvcp.com. Yeah. Uh, if you are a company that's fundamentally changing the way that we're living our daily lives today. That is profound. And what's so cool about that is that when I look at some of these companies that you guys have invested in, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I could see that. I could see myself like a cycle of adoption, you know? I'm I'm a I'm a subscriber to Vistro, but I've actually tried Sweetgreen and it's very good. Lime Bird, I mean, these are everyday companies. You know, Masterclass. God, we are so inspired by Masterclass and their marketing. You know, the videos that we produce, we love taking from their style. Super cool. You guys have done some some amazing stuff. Airtable, 
you know, Roman keeps seeing their ads, you know, this, this whole, this whole kind of DTC movement, you guys are going to blow it up. Amazing work. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Cheers.